All right, and we are back with living the guide life today. And, you know, everything's just been going smoothly up here in Minnesota. I don't know if you guys know yet, um, but I got a dog about a month ago for guiding next year and just for waterfall hunting all together. So that's pretty exciting. Got a little girl, came from Nebraska. Um, buddy, I know that runs a kennel down there and have ran over his dog a couple of times and they're awesome dogs so it should be a be a really fun year started doing some uh training with her um and it's been great started using the um a bunch of different videos and stuff like that that are all over the internet that really kind of give you some sense of what to do if you don't know what you're doing um most for the most part i get a pretty good understanding for the training aspect but it's always good to just kind of have something to look back on and realize what you're doing wrong and stuff like that so it's been going good but today we are brought to you by chasing foul outfitters make sure to hit us up for next year our books are open um and the first five people to book a hunt with us with a group of four or more gets a sweatshirt and a hat um for booking with us so make sure to go hit that up also might have a little discount code coming here for spring snow goose hunters. So keep an eye out for that as well. Also, we are brought to you by Bourbon Media. And I'm going to give them a second here. If you're a small business owner in the outdoor industry, we get it. The words digital marketing can be intimidating. You're a grunt work, sweat it out, bust your chops kind of person who's addicted to progress and put all of your time and energy into operating your business. We at Bourbon Media can help you push it even further. We're digital marketing experts. I'm talking web development, content creation, social media management, SEO, paid advertising, the whole nine yards. And as fellow outdoorsmen, we know the industry. Keep your business up to date and expand your reach with digital marketing that is directed at your core market. We are Bourbon Media. Cheers to progression. And that wraps things up for Bourbon Media. If you haven't already looked at their um, subscribe websites, they are a great deal. So make sure to go check that out. Also, we are brought to you by Pacific Call. And all I'm saying is Spring Goose, Snow Goose is coming up. Go get one of their Snow Goose calls. Because honestly, a big thing that I've found when hunting snow geese in the spring is just being different. And if you're running e-callers all the time, that's great. But you also want to have your own call with you. Just throw something a little different at them. Um, not used to hearing uh, many people um, blow a call at them in the spring. So go check out Pacific Calls and their spring snow goose call. Also, we are brought to you by Mallard Bay. If you are looking to book any hunt, anywhere, any price, make sure to go check them out. They have me on the schedule. Um, so, sorry about that. If you want to go book a hunt in Minnesota, um, you can find me there. If you want to book a hunt in Texas, you can find that all on their website. Prices, availability, everything, and you'll be good to go. So go check them out. And today we have Blake Gibson on. So he is from Washington State. 
and he's a dog trainer. Um, he's an awesome dude, 23 years old, knows a ton about dogs, and gives a bunch of info on really everything dog training. Like, if you're not getting a dog yet, or if you don't have a dog, whatever it is, you're in the future sometime looking to get a dog, and you're also possibly thinking about doing some training with it, I think this is a great episode for you as well, just because of all the information he goes over for future dog trainers and dog trainers now. So just something to throw in your arsenal when you come to that stage in your life. So I hope you guys enjoy. We are live with Living the Guide Life podcast today. And we have Blake Gibson on from Washington State. And he is a co-owner at Long Hollow Retrievers. And he does the side of kennel management as well as working with their retrievers. Um, so, Blake, how are we doing today? Good, man. How are you? Doing well. Sounds like you had a good day training. Yeah, for sure. It's cold and snowy, and that makes it a little bit tough. Days are pretty short right now, but uh, we're making the best of it. Oh, I hear you on that. Have you? Uh, it looks like you've been doing some hunting this year, too. Yeah, yeah, I've been out hunting quite a bit um, when I'm not training dogs, and that's pretty much what my life's been for the last few months is training dogs and chasing birds. So yeah, I'm living, I'm living the life. Oh, I hear you on that. Because how old? How old are you? Twenty-three. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. So shit, you're only two years older than me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Twenty-three. How'd you get into training dogs? Um. So. Long story short, um, my partner in the kennel right now, Ryan Fortier, uh, I kind of grew up just jump shooting and setting a few decoys and smaller ditches and stuff, shooting a few ducks here and there. And uh, I met Ryan through, uh, actually, my younger cousin played sports with Ryan's son. Okay. Um, so I kind of met him through, through Little League Baseball and stuff like that. And uh, Ryan opened long hollow retrievers by himself um, and had that going for a while, ended up closing the kennel for a bit. Um, and in that time where he was closing the kennel, uh, he was getting rid of some of the females that he had for breeding and stuff. And he ended up giving me a dog um, that was already trained. And I basically had no idea how to run this dog or anything. So he gave me this dog. I hunted her for a couple years. I trained with them a little bit so you could show me how to, how to work with her and stuff. Um, and then basically I wanted a puppy out of her. She was, she was an older dog already. So I was like, well, I, I want a puppy out of her. I, my whole family fell in love with this dog and I wanted a puppy. So we ended up breeding her to Delta Ryan stud dog. Um, and I kept my dog that I currently have right now out of, out of that litter and then once i had that puppy i had a puppy but i had no idea how to train a dog on my own the previous dog that he gave me was already trained so um i constantly just was calling him and texting him and like wanting him to help me uh i'm pretty sure he thought i was like the most annoying kid in the world uh <laughs> he, he didn't really want he would like maybe respond like once every five or ten times that i that i texted him or called him 
and it was very brief. Um, and then finally I talked him into helping me and he, uh, started, we started scheduling these like training days, uh, throughout the week. So I'd basically go and train with him for one day. He'd give me a list of stuff to work on. Um, and I would go home and do it on my own. And he'd be like, call me when you get through this. And I would go back and we just went back and forth like that, where he'd help me one or two days a week or once every couple of weeks. Um, and just keep giving me more stuff to work on. Gunner ended up bring, Gunner was the puppy. Um, he ended up being pretty talented. And I think that helped Ryan kind of spark his interest in the helping me train a little bit more. He was like, oh, wow, this dog actually doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, so he started training with me more and more. Um, through, through high school, I would basically, I played uh, basketball and baseball in high school. And I would, during baseball season, I would take Gunner to school with me. And then go to practice, um, and then just coincidentally, the the field that we practiced on was right next to where Ryan was living at the time. So I would just take him with me to school, take him with me to practice. He would hang out in the dugout with me, and then uh, I would head over to Ryan's house after baseball practice, and we would train dogs together. Um, and I was through high school and my, uh, the first couple of years out of high school, I was a fly fishing guide here on the Yakima river in Owensburg. Oh, wow. And so I, I liked it when I was doing it. And then I was just kind of getting burned out, burnt out on it. and Wasn't really enjoying it. Like I once did. And I was like really taking on to the retriever training stuff. I had ran some hunt tests, um, with Gunner and yeah. I was getting more and more interested in it. So I started to, um, want to like, what's the next step? I want to train dogs professionally. So I started talking to Ryan about it. And just gradually over time, we started to slowly open up the kennel. We found a place to, uh, with a building on it that we did some remodeling in to put the kennels in. And, um, it's just been growing like, like a weed since then. So we just ended up reopening the kennel together uh, a few years ago and everything's going really well. Gotta love that. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of all fell into place for us really. I, Looking back on it now, it feels like it was a long time ago, but so much has happened in an actual short short period of time. Um, so I'm super thankful for how everything's going right now. Yeah. Oh, dude, that sounds like a sounds like a big accomplishment. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. But a fly fishing guide to a trainer that's a that's a different jump. Yeah, yeah, it's not your typical uh, first jobs out of high school that's for sure <laughs> yeah dude i uh i love to fly fish we go out to montana um every year and do that and that's just a blast of time but what what kind of fish do you guys catch out there uh there's rainbow and cutthroat trout okay yeah, I guess. yeah it's a pretty that. good pretty good fishery it's fun to fish i just enjoy fun fishing it now i don't really yeah. miss the guiding days <laughs> yeah Oh, I believe you. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a different side to it. That's for sure. Just like, but, uh, yeah, no. So what river are you fishing out there? The Yakima river. Okay. Where does that run through in Washington? So basically, uh, it starts up in Cleome, Washington. Um, and then it connects with the Columbia river. Okay. And is that like drift boat fishing or can you wade that shit? 
Um, it's it's most accessible out of a drift boat. Uh, the Yakima River is kind of a different fishery because it's actually the the river is used as an irrigation canal. So there's a couple of big lakes up above that that feed it, and so they there's dams on those lakes, and so they like store all the snow melt up there and then hold it back for all the farmers. So in the summertime, it's actually at its peak level. Uh, and then in, at the winter, it's at the lowest, it's at its lowest in the wintertime. So um, like when it's up, it's, it's seasonal weight fishing, basically. Like if you're going to weight fish in the summertime, you're basically fishing off the bank. It's so deep up to the banks that you can't really get in it that, in very many places. Yeah. And it's pretty fast, but um, yeah, in the wintertime, in the fall, um, it's, it's accessible on foot. Um, but drift boats the best way to fish it for sure yeah drift boat fishing i mean if you have a drift boat that's the way to go There's no oh yeah about it yeah for I mean, sure. weight, drift boat or raft for sure yeah weight fishing's fun and all but you can get in a drift boat like just cruise down the river you're you're covering so much more water oh my god so many river. yeah so many more spots you can hit and like yeah just totally a game changer but, yeah for sure so how many dogs did you say you guys got at Long Hollow? Like personal dogs or dogs that were training for other people? Dogs that you're training for other people and personal dogs. Just a- yeah. Um, so it, that's also seasonal for us. So basically we have 20 outdoor kennels and then okay. we have 15 kennels inside our, our kennel building. Uh, so during the winter time, we don't have any dogs outside. Obviously it's cold and you know, and everything so we we downsize in the winter time to 15 uh client dogs and then in the summertime we could be up to 20 25 30 dogs at times yeah. so you ever like put two dogs in one kennel or you just make it easier on the dogs or what is there we like a try to do not really something we do it's not really something we do that often um yeah. we can but it's it, you're just more prone to accidents happening, dogs playing in there and hurting each other and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we try to keep everybody in one kennel and, uh, it makes the, it makes the kennel a lot more manageable too. Yeah. So, uh, we don't, you know, if we, if we're, if we have 15 kennels open, we're going to take 15 dogs. Out. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, so. I feel like that's a smart play to do it. Cause then you don't have to worry about all the mumbo jumbo. You have two dogs and one and whatnot. So. I mean, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Definitely makes sense. But I mean, for I wanted to ask this. So, like, I just got a puppy like a mm-hmm. month ago. What would you say the biggest thing is to start working on with a puppy? Just honestly, just like boundaries, just your typical boundaries, uh, like that you would, you know, that you. The, the things that make your dog enjoyable to be around in the house uh, that's the main stuff that i focus on i just re- recently got uh, a puppy and she's living inside with us um like when they're inside keeping them on a dog bed teaching them that you know you're gonna lay on the dog bed until we tell you that it's okay to get off the bed um potty training all the all the obvious stuff sit um stay all that all the all the basics that's what i really focus on at first and then for about five minutes a day, I, I do little like retrieving drills in a hallway. Yeah. So just close all the doors in a hallway, get, find something that the puppy likes to retrieve. 
Yeah. Um, it could be a balled up sock or a tennis ball or a little puppy bumper or whatever the dog really likes. Um, and just a handful of retrieves a day. Just, you know, as soon as you see the puppy starting to get excited about retrieving, just take it away and put it up. Like the, the puppy can have some toys or whatever here and there, but the one thing that you're using for, for retrieving, um, just keep it to that one thing. And that's the only time that that puppy gets to see that, whatever you're using. Yeah. Um, and that, that just really helps build their drive up and they, they start to look forward to you doing that every day. They, you know, they see you grab that off the bookshelf and they're like, Oh, we're going, to, we're going yeah. to going to retrieve and they get excited about it. And that's what you want. Um, a lot of people overdo it and they, they do it too much and the puppy gets bored of it. And if you're, if your puppy's getting bored of it, um, you're just defeating the purpose. I mean, that, that's when you're going to have the dog that, you know, doesn't really care or is just going to go grab it and wander off. Um, that's why I like to do it in the hallway too. Um, is cause it's just one way there and one way back. There's not a lot of options for them to go other places. And it just, it's all muscle memory to the dog. And, um, after they start to retrieve and they start to enjoy it, you know, once you do, once they are a little bit older and you do go outside, you don't have that puppy that's just grabbing things and running off with it. They're like, Oh, I know I got to come back. Um, and so that sets you up for a lot of success. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I did that a little bit, um, with like a sock, I would just ball up two socks and throw it down the hallway. And yeah. I mean, as she got bigger, cause she's three months now. And then I started throwing some live pigeons for her. Mm-hmm. And so like just clip off the, um, flight feathers and yep. then just kind of just throwing it up, let it sail and then let it chase after it, bring it back, do that like three times. And I mean, that worked out really well for me, but I, mm-hmm. I'd pull it away when she was at her peak of excitement. Yeah. Yep. And we'll, we introduce puppies to live birds at a young age too. Um, but I'm talking like, you know, eight weeks old. Yeah. You, you first get them home. That's the main stuff that I like to focus on the stuff that I kind of covered. Um, you can do little place training drills with them and different stuff like that. Um, but we typically like to, we don't like to overdo the live birds right away. It's yeah. super fun and super cool to like, you know, introduce them to birds and have see that excitement of like, oh yeah, there's a live bird. But sometimes that can also work against you too, because if you get that dog enjoying pigeons or whatever live birds you're using too much, then they're, they're going to prefer that over retrieving a bumper. Um, and if you want to train a dog at a high level, you're, the dog's going to have to enjoy retrieving bumpers. And I mean, you can't use birds all the time. So, um, there's a lot of drill work and stuff that you have to do with bumpers. So we try to, you know, mix it in here and there, but majority of the retrieving is done with bumpers or whatever that puppy likes to retrieve. Um, and then maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks, we'll mix in a live pigeon in there and, and start doing that. And we use a lot of live pigeons like during our gun breaking process and stuff too, yeah. um, which isn't that far down the road. So that puppy is going to get exposed to a lot of birds, uh, you know, shortly into their training career. Um, yeah. So we don't really, we don't really stress about the live bird thing. I, I use like a lot of dead frozen pigeons. Okay. Um, so I'll mix that in. And if you get a puppy that's really, you know, thriving on a bumper, thriving on the stock, and they're not really wanting to retrieve anything else, they're just kind of focused on that one thing. I'll mix it up where like, I'll grab a, a frozen pigeon and I'll grab the bumper. I'll throw the bumper a couple of times, get them going and then throw the pit, like mix the pigeon in there every once in a while and start to mix it up on them and get them retrieving different things. And it, you know, the, the best, 
the best dogs to train are the dogs that don't care what they're retrieving. They just yeah. want to retrieve. So that's kind of what you want to build. Yeah. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. I definitely could see that. Cause yeah, I mean, we, we didn't do pigeons a ton, just kind of like a brief couple days where I'd throw a live pigeon and whatnot, but then I started doing like a lot of tennis ball work with her. And then now we're kind of, I kind of want to start moving into bumpers, but do you think it would be too early at three months to work at bumpers or would you wait a little bit? Uh, my puppy's already retrieving bumpers. I've only had this dog for like three days and I okay. picked her up at eight weeks old. So she's picking up the regular, uh, I think it's just a two inch bumper, yeah. uh, tangle free bumper. Um, she's picking those up just fine. And that's, that's honestly a little bit early for him to pick up bumpers, like a full size bumper. Um, some puppies have a tough time holding on to it and, you know, they just sit there and end up dragging it by the rope. But if you can get them retrieving, you know, bigger stuff at a young yeah. age, then do it. If they're struggling with it, then get a smaller bumper or stick with a tennis ball for a little while until they're a little bit bigger. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, she hasn't really struggled with anything, um, so far. So I was kind of thinking on switching over to a bumper and start throwing that a little bit because i mean if she was able to retrieve a pigeon she should be able to pick up a smaller bumper pretty easy yeah that's what i was so yeah because i've been i i subscribe to the cornerstone gundog academy Mm -hmm. and i mean they've done a really good job of kind of describing to me on what i need to be doing because i mean for me like i've done training with my buddies like my buddy's a dog trainer and so i'll work with him but like i don't really have like the everything know-how of really doing a dog so i was like well yeah fuck it i might as well just go purchase that and it's been great to me we're working on place training right now and she's doing good with that like doing really well yeah yeah any any kind of you know videos or guidelines to help uh help you get through everything just to keep you keep you moving and you know sometimes like when when I look back on like the earlier years that I was training, uh, like when I was first starting, I would struggle just getting stuck on one thing and it's really beneficial to mix it up. Um, you really want to, you know, have a nice balance of obedience and retrieving and yard drills and all that kind of stuff. Um, the more that you mix it up with the dog and keep everything fresh, the dog doesn't get bored and they stay interested in, in, in every single training session instead of you just being like, and so the dog just being like, Oh, we've done this a thousand times. Like they start losing interest and you're kind of screwed after that. So, um, yeah, my, I would, I would say just try to mix it up as much as possible a steady balance of obedience and retrieving don't yeah. overdo one or the other just um kind of keep keep it keep it simple and and keep moving through um multiple different tasks you know throughout throughout the training process instead of just getting hung up on one thing yeah oh absolutely because yeah or overdoing one thing yeah that's what they talked about a little bit but like yeah i mean if your dog if you feel like your dog's ready just keep on moving like you don't yeah. have to keep keep on working with one thing constantly. Like your dog's going up to place, great. Let's move on to the next thing. Like yeah. you don't need to sit exactly and continuously work place, place, and place, nonstop. Yep. So I mean, yeah, it's been it's been good to me so far. But you just so you said you just got a puppy three days ago. Yeah, I think I've only had her for three or four days. How's that been? She's going? just a little over eight weeks old now. So what was that? How has that been going? 
uh, it's been going really good. I'm really liking her so far. I mean, I've only had her for a few days, but she deacclimated well right away, and uh, she's really had no hiccups so far. I mean, we're she's been training every day and happy to retrieve. So that's really all you can ask of them right now. Yeah. Do you ever feel like there's a point where it's too early to start training? Because I know some people think like you should wait. Some people think let's hit it right when they get home. What's your thought on that? I don't really think that you can start too early. I mean, you're going to pick your puppy up at, you know, typically seven to nine weeks old is when you're going to get your puppy. Um, And at that time, when those dogs are young, that's when they're most impressionable. So don't waste any time. Uh, You know, get that dog, get that dog socialized, get them out around other people, around other dogs. You know, you got to be careful with, you know, they're not all the way up to date on their shots and stuff. So you don't want to be careful around too many dogs, but um, the sooner you can just get them used to your everyday life and, you know, what they're going to experience in, in, in their life, uh, the more confident that puppy's going to be. So there's lots of stuff that you can work on right from the very beginning. So um, I wouldn't waste any time, of, you know, oh, we need to wait until they're six months old or whatever. Like that, that six months old is typically when we take dogs in for clients for training. Uh, sometimes we'll take them in a little bit earlier than that, but we don't really like to, um, the main reason for waiting until they're six months old to take them to a pro trainer is that's when they get their adult teeth in. And that's when you can really start formal training where you're doing hold, hold training, force fetch. Um, and you can really, that's, that's when you're going to get the most bang for your buck as a client, um, taking your dog to a pro trainer is like, that's, that's the, that's the harder part of training. So as a puppy, you know, get them, get them socialized get them retrieving the soccer, the little bumper in the hallway. Um, and then just set them up for success. Once they do turn that six months old, if you are going to take them to a pro trainer, um, set them up for success where it's not like, Oh, that's the first bumper that they've ever seen, you know, at yeah. six months old when they show up at the trainers, um, or that's the first bird or whatever. Um, I mean, it's okay if you don't have access to birds and stuff like that, like dogs typically catch on pretty quick, but the more that you can get that dog, um, experience with, the easier it's going to be to transition them into training once they get to a pro trainer for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I've heard a lot of people like worrying about when they should start hunting their dog as well. Like, do you have a thought on like, let's say for big geese out in Minnesota that I hunt, Mm -hmm. some people are like, I want to wait till like a year and a half just in case like a goose hits them the wrong way. They don't get scared of them, whatever it is. Um, And then I see a bunch of guys run them at, like right at a year or whatever, whenever they can. Yeah. So like, what's your yeah. input? <laughs> My input on that is every dog's different. Um, yeah. Some dogs mature quicker than others. Um, I think that dogs benefit a ton from actually hunting. Um, they, they can, they can thrive in a training program, but just because they're doing well in training doesn't mean that they're going to absolutely completely understand a hunting scenario. So mm-hmm the ultimate goal is to have a good gun dog and a good dog in the field. So my input on that is, is you as a trainer, you as a handler, you as a dog owner, you need to kind of pay attention to your dog and see where, where you think they are. If they're a super timid dog and you know, they don't have a lot of confidence and stuff. Um, maybe take them on a couple duck hunts or something. That's going to be a little bit easier. Just you and your dog, you know, shoot one or two birds and just let that dog put the whole picture together. If your dog's a wild child and 
you know, he's going hog wild and doing great in training and stuff. I wouldn't say go hunt 10 guns over his head right away in a goose field. Um, but go out with a couple buddies. I wouldn't hesitate to hunt geese. Um, just maybe make sure that you're shooting all the cripples on the ground before you're letting your dog go. Um, yeah. so that, you know, a dog, dog isn't getting the crap kicked out of it by, by a live goose. Um, cause that, that can affect a dog for sure. Yeah. Um, and don't, 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 don't rush into it by any means, but also don't hesitate at the same time. If you think that your dog's ready, um, just try to set them up for success as much as you can you know, pound a stake in the ground, stake your dog out so, so that they're not breaking or not getting in the way of any guns or, or, you know, flaring any birds on you and just let them experience the entire hunt. Uh, yeah. Make sure that they're obviously make sure they're gun broke and all that stuff before you take them hunting. But if you've, if you've went through all the basic steps and you've gun broke your dog and you've, you've thrown them lots of marks in the field and, you know, worked on some steadiness and stuff, and you think that, that they're ready to experience that, then jump right in. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, she'll be 11 months when we start our hunting season here in September. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm thinking from what I've seen from her now, like, I wouldn't hesitate from bringing her out there. Right. Like, just from her drive standpoint and everything like that, I've thought of just, yeah, like, she looks good, keep working with her, and just see how she continues to progress and just go yeah. on there. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like that's definitely a big piece of it. Yeah, for sure. Nice. For sure. And yeah, just try to set her up for success in the field. Uh, yeah. Once you go out there, just don't, you know, don't take, like I said, don't take her on a crazy bit with a crazy big group or anything. Yeah. The first couple hunts, you know, hunt one or two or three buddies and make sure there's not 10 shots going off. I, you know, off the first couple goes, you sit there and watch your dog, you know, make sure she's not, not being affected by the guns or, yeah. Um, and she, you know, she's looking out of the blind, she's marking birds and, you know, it's, it, you're going to, you're going to be able to tell in the first couple of goes, if it's going the right way or if it's going the wrong way, she's not wanting to come out of her dog blind or she's hiding behind you in the duck blind. You probably want to go back to the drawing board and go train some more. But if she's sitting there happy as can be waiting for birds to come in, keep hunting her. Yeah. And yeah, like if a dog was doing that, would you just say throw it back in the kennel in the truck and just let her do her thing or would you kind of just sit back a little bit like way behind your group and kind of just let her watch um i would say it would it would depend on it's hard to say without actually seeing something like that happen because it would be different for every scenario but um if the dog's showing like she's trying to hide from the guns like she's she like she is gun shy then i would yank her out of there and i go back to struck with her right away and i would start to you know go back to your gun breaking process um but if she's just not understanding she's not retrieving right or she's just kind of all you know the excitement's getting to her and she's running running around being a crazy dog sometimes you just have to give them some time um you know try to work on your obedience at home so that when you do get into the field you have you know you have a little bit of a handle on your dog yeah and then just encourage her to pick up birds. I mean, you just go out. If she's not picking them up or something, go out there, throw them for like a little bit, a little bit of training in the middle of the hunt really quick and see if you can get her picking them up. She doesn't pick, she doesn't pick up any birds the first time, but she wasn't, you know, wasn't scared or wasn't being gun shy or whatever, then, then you're fine. You're, you're just going to have to, you know, that, that will tell you what you're going to need to go work on at home. Yeah. So. Yeah. And for gun breaking, how old do you usually gun break dogs 
Uh, it really just depends on the puppy. Like, like I said, we don't get a lot of dogs in, uh, like a lot of client dogs in until they're six months old. So, um, once they're, once they come in at six months old, like a typical client dog, uh, we're going to throw some bumpers for them, get to know the dog for the first couple of weeks. If they're retrieving like crazy and having a good time, like birds, all that kind of stuff, um, then we're going to jump right into gun breaking within the first couple of weeks. But if, the dog isn't really liking bumpers or isn't like liking to retrieve very much then we might wait a little bit to gun break that dog um just to let them build some confidence before we do that yeah what is your i've also had my own puppies i've also had my own puppies that you know if they're retrieving bumpers and loving birds i've gun broke them pretty pretty young you know just a few months old yeah what does your process look like for gun breaking dogs uh, we use a live pigeon, kind of like what you explained you did with your dog. Yeah. I would pull the flight feathers out, um, let the bird kind of sail across the field. As soon as the dog is en route to the bird and is actually opening its mouth to go to reach down and grab that bird, I'll shoot a 209 blank pistol. Um, you know, I'm I'm quite a ways back from the bird. I'll shoot the blank pistol. And gun breaking is all about reading the dog. So if I shoot the blank pistol right there. And that dog stops and looks up and is looking for that sound, you know, they're not going to be scared right away. But if they if if they show any kind of reaction to the gun, then I'm going to do the same thing or I'm going to try to get that bird further away from me on the next one um, to make the sound a little bit quieter. And then if the dog doesn't hesitate, picks up the bird and doesn't pay any attention to the sound, then I'm going to throw it. And I'm going to shoot a little bit earlier on the next one. And then on the next one, I'm going to shoot a little bit earlier. You know, you might get you might cut the distance in half um, and then the dog might start to show you a little bit of a reaction like, Oh, what was that? And then mm. you would kind of take a step back, throw it back to where you did the time before um, and shoot again where you had success and then just kind of go back and forth with the dog until you can shoot right next to them. And they're not, not caring at all. Mm. Um, a lot of people misunderstand uh, what a gun broke dog is. Um, a gun broke dog isn't a dog that's not afraid of the gun. It's a dog that understands the gun. So just because your dog's not scared of loud noises doesn't mean your dog's gun broke. Um, the dog that is truly gun broke is the dog that understands that when the gun goes off, I get a bird, I get a retreat. That's the reward. You, you hear the gun go off. Okay. Where's the bird at? That's, that's the dog that really, um, truly understands gunfire. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I've never really thought of it like that. Yeah. And, and there's been people like, you'll, you'll hear, you'll hear horror stories where people are like, Oh, I, I've, I've shot birds over my dog. And then all of a sudden they were gun shy. And it's like, that's because the dog doesn't fully understand the gun. Mm. The dog isn't, isn't, isn't comprehending exactly what's going on in the situation. So for some reason, you know, if there was more guns going off or, you know, noise was a little bit louder dog was a little bit closer to you when you shot that time or whatever it was and it startled the dog i mean it can be over just like that and sometimes you'll never get those dogs back so it's very important the gun breaking process is very important to make sure you take your time make sure the dog truly understands gunfire it's not just being okay with loud noises yeah have you ever brought has a client ever brought you a dog that's gun shy and you've had to work through it oh yeah yeah Yeah. for sure um, it can be, it can be a pain and it, it's really, it's really, uh, there's a lot of gray area when that happens because some dogs you can save from it and some dogs 
will never come out of it. Some dogs are just set in their ways to where you're, you're never going to get them back. Um, some dogs, you know, if you, if you handle the situation right, when you do see your dog reacting to the gun in a poor way, um, you know, you get them out of the field immediately um, and you kind of try to start over from scratch, like you kind of hope that they forget about it. Um, you, those are the dogs that, that typically have um, a better recovery than dogs that have had multiple issues. You know, per, person keeps trying to shoot over the top of them and they're getting scared over and over and over again. Those are the dogs that are a little bit harder to get, get to come back. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that'd be a, that'd be a tough, tough way to train a dog that's coming in gun shy. Oh yeah. It's, it's not the funnest way to start. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. That, yeah, that'd be a pain. Like, do they, do they tell you that the guns or the dogs gun shy or do they like, you had people. Yeah. I mean, I, there's been lots of people who have called me and asked for help or, asked if I would take their dog in to uh, try to work through work through being gun shy um, that they messed up the training process in the beginning and dogs off to a bad start. And I basically just have to tell them what I just told you is like, yeah, I'm willing to take them, but there's no guarantees of us getting it back. So yeah. um, it's going to be an investment and hopefully we'll try to make the best out of it, but there's no guarantees at that point. Yeah. How long do you guys usually keep dogs? at your place if you're training for a client like let's say a client wants everything done for their dog how long are you usually keeping a dog for uh it really depends because all dogs train at different different speeds and all dogs mature at different rates so um our basic retriever training program which is basically introduction introduction to all the basics so bumpers birds water um all that kind of stuff, gun breaking, hold training, force fetch, um, and then back to applying all that stuff into a real hunting scenario. Uh, basically, at the end of that program, you will have a dog that we call a lead steady dog. So a dog that understands that they're not supposed to just go, but if you didn't have them on a lead, they're probably you know 50% of the time that they're going to go. Um, so they're not yanking on your arm when you're holding on to them, but they know that it's there and they're going to be steady while you're, you know, you can make them sit next to you and be steady with the lead on. Um, so it, they're basically ready to hunt at that point. And that program takes three to four months. Um, so that's the, most people. That's what they, that's, that's what they're going to do. Um, a lot of, you know, the, the scenario might be different on every case, but people want to, they do want to do some training with their own dog, but they don't want to go through the force fetch process. So they bring us, bring the dog to us for three to four months. We get them through force fetch. Um, we get them through all that kind of stuff. And then we send them home and they either go hunt them or they, you know, keep, keep on moving that dog through training on their own after that. Um, but there's also dogs that stay with me for every month of the, of the year, except for hunting season. Um, we run AKC hunt tests right now. So yeah. I have dogs that I compete with throughout the uh, spring, summer, and fall until hunting season starts. So there are some people that, you know, send their dogs to us. They train with us the entire year, except for the few months uh, out of the year that they're hunting. Um, and they, um, I lost my train of thought, but they, they basically are here every month out of the year, except for when they're hunting. Um, and I'll compete them in AKC hunt tests while they're, while they're uh, not hunting and then send them home for hunting season. Yeah. 
So you guys are running a lot of AKC hunt tests then? Yeah, yeah. We we I'm pretty much. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many hunt tests I ran uh, last year, but I mean I'm gone pretty much every other weekend or every couple weekends for sure. Uh, yeah. Traveling around running tests. Yeah. What does a master class dog look like in your eyes? Uh, we, we call a master, like a master level dog is what we call it as a, a non-slip retriever. So a retriever that completely understands the entire picture of the game. Like they, they understand that they have to be steady. They understand that they might have to hunt with another dog and watch another, honor another dog while they're retrieving, um, handle on blinds efficiently. Um, and there's a lot, I mean, we could talk about hours about that level of retriever but there's a lot of factors that play into it and there's a lot of suction that plays into those tests so um they they basically have to know all the rules (laughs) for for lack of a better term uh they got to know that they can't switch if they go after one bird they can't switch to another bird um they got to stay in the water there and back so like if there's a water mark thrown um or there's a blind planted along the edge of a pond, the dog has to stay in the water while, while they're en route to that bird. Um, and if they get out, then you're going to get docked points or you could potentially fail from it. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Because I've watched a couple AKC hunt tests, and I've watched some of the master level stuff, and it's, it's crazy what those dogs can do. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really impressive. The first uh, master hunt test that I went to, I was pretty mind blown. But that kind of lit the lit the fire under my ass a little bit, and like I want a dog that can do that. Yeah. So. Now, are you trying to get like for your own dogs? Do you try to get the master class title for them? Yeah, yeah. So um, I actually just put a master hunter title on my personal dog Gunner um, this year. He we didn't really have any tests to run last year because of COVID. Um, yeah. Everything got canceled around us in the Pacific Northwest. There were some tests across the country that were still going, but too far to travel to. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he kind of got the short end of the stick on that. So he, he would have been a master hunter in 2020, um, but ended up getting it in 2021 uh, when we finally got back to running tests. And then I actually qualified him for the master national last year, and he went and passed that as well. So. Wow. He's got one master national pass um, now too. So I'll try to qualify him for that again this year. Uh, it switches regions every year. The national does. And it's actually in Washington this year, about an hour and a half from my house. So this is about as close as it's ever going to be to me. So I'm going to try to try to make it to that again and hopefully get one more master national pass for him. Yeah. And how, how old are those dogs that are usually running master class levels? Hunters? I believe that. Well, so at the Master National this year, I, I want to say like the average age dog, they told us what it was. I want to say it was like five and a half years old was the average age. Okay. Um, but there was dogs in there that are like two years old too. Oh, I would wow. say two is probably the youngest um, or, you know, just, just under two would be, yeah. is, you know, if they're, if they're, if they're a master hunter or if they're qualifying for the Master National, you know, around the age of two, that's a pretty pretty big accomplishment it's yeah. a big accomplishment in itself to yeah, just go to it so um 
but yeah, I would say that there's really no master dogs. All, it's basically two and up. Yeah. Um, there's really not any dogs that are under the age of two that are doing it all that often. Yeah. Because you have to get your junior, then your senior, then your master, right? You don't actually have to go through all of them. Uh, oh, yeah. So that that is the that is kind of the stepping stone is you know juniors first then seniors then masters but um you don't have to pass juniors or seniors to be able to run a master test <laughs> you can you could skip all that if you want to and go straight to masters but a, a lot of people are going to struggle if they if they do so um yeah. you know a, a lot of people want to run their dog before they're two years old so if you're going to run your dog before it's two um you know it, it takes a high level of be able to compete at, a, at the master level and you're typically not going to get that for a few years at least so um yeah you don't have to uh go through all the steps if you don't want to but you're you might be wasting your money if you don't <laughs> yeah. oh i hear you have you like would you ever skip the junior and senior and just go straight to master or do you feel like it's a better process taking all the steps personally um with my own dogs i probably won't run any more junior junior tests with my own dogs it's yeah. pretty basic stuff and it just costs money to go run tests that don't really mean anything if your end goal is to get a senior and master title yeah the junior title is not going to mean anything anyways so um i probably won't run juniors with any of my own i ran it with gunner because i was young and i was learning when i when he was at that age um, but any dogs from here on out, I probably won't run any junior tests anymore. I will probably run senior tests, uh, depending on how the dog's doing the senior test, like a junior test is two single marks on land and two single marks on water. So it's basically four retrieves and it's, and you're over. If you, you know, you can hold on to their collar. You don't have to worry about them breaking. Um, yeah. your dog just has to sit there at the line while you hold their collar. They throw one bird, go there, get the bird, come back. They, once, once they delivered a hand you go get the second bird, they throw another bird for you, you go get that bird and you're, you're done. You do that once on land, once on water, and you've got your pass for the weekend. Hmm. A senior test is a double and a blind. So um, it's kind of the halfway mark, obviously, between a junior yeah. test and a master test is you're, you, now, now they add a blind into it and they add an honor into it where you have to sit there on, on honor. You can't hold your dog's collar anymore. Um, and you got, they're going to throw two birds, you know, one, two, and then you're going to pick one up and have to remember the second one. And then you're going to run one blind on water and one blind on, on land too. Um, so the senior test, in my opinion, is, is much more advanced than obviously than a junior test and having some hunt test experience, depending on the dog could help that dog be a better master level dog sooner. Um, now there are certain situations where I don't agree with that. And, you know, if you have a really hot dog where they don't want to, uh, they have a tough time sitting and they have breaking problems and they're just wired all the time. Uh, it's not always good to run them in juniors and seniors prior to masters. It's almost better to just let them grow up through training, yeah. let them make their mistakes in training. And then, you know, test as least amount of times as you possibly have to, because that environment is so much more exciting than, it, you know, there's lots of dogs, lots of people, guns going off everywhere. So a dog that struggles holding it together mentally a little bit is going to struggle at a hunt test typically. Um, so if you do have, you know, a dog that it runs a little bit hotter than most, then you might want to just wait until, you know, seniors or masters instead of putting them through a bunch of testing prior to that. 
I always hear people say there's such a difference in like field trial dogs compared to hunting dogs. What's your thought on that? Um, I mean, the dog's going to be good at what, I mean, what, whatever you, whatever you do with your dog the most, that's what the dog's going to be good at typically. Yeah. Um, a good hunting dog typically does not make a good hunt test dog because the hunting environment is so much different than the, than the testing environment. And the standard is typically so much higher. Um, you know, it's not higher for us necessarily because we always hold our dogs to a high standard, but, um, it's really a, a good hunting dog doesn't always make a good hunt test dog or a field trial dog, but a good field trial dog or a good, or, or a good hunt test dog typically does make a good hunting dog in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're, if your dog is just that approach trainer all the time, or if you're only focusing on hunt testing and you never hunt your dog and you go hunt, then all of a sudden you decide to go hunt your dog, your dog's probably going to screw up in the field a handful yeah. of times before they get a hold, get, get the hang of it. But like Gunner, I hunt a ton with Gunner and I hunt test a bunch with Gunner and obviously train a bunch. So He's acclimated to both environments and he does a good job of, of doing really well at both. Um, so it's really just kind of practice how you play. Um, yeah. you know, we, we all, all of our dogs get trained in a hunt test kind of way. If you want it for lack of a better term, uh, they get trained. Like I run my gun dogs with my hunt test dogs in training. They all get trained the same way. We train them to the standard of a hunt test. Yeah. Um, now there's different times in training, like right before hunting season, I'll put the dog blind out. I'll, you know, butt it up next to a pond, quack on the duck call, do things that you typically wouldn't, that, that aren't going to happen at a hunt test, um, just to get them more ready for a hunting scenario over a hunt test scenario. But we try, we try to train at a high level and the highest level that you can train, um, you know, is, is training it for hunt tests or field trials. Um, that's where the, the standards are the highest. And that that's what we want our dogs to perform. That's the level we want our dogs to perform at all the time. So we just train like that. Yeah. And for like a guy like me, that's, you know, training his own dog, would you recommend me trying to go do field trial stuff? Like before hunting season? Um, well, there's a, there's a big difference even in field trial stuff hunt test stuff yeah um so field trial i don't know if you're familiar with field trials but field trials um is a totally different game uh to hunt testing even um there there are some similarities in it but field trialing the the marks are much further i i would say the best way to kind of dumb it down to explain it is a field trial setup is going to is is trying to push the dogs to their fullest potential, even like kind of out of even even like beyond hunting. I mean, most of the field trial setups, you're never your dog's never gonna do anything like that in yeah. the field while they're hunting. Um, so if you're really just looking to have a good gun dog, I would encourage you to go run hunt tests, but yeah. not necessarily field trials. Um okay. I would say that. The, the hunt test game is much more um, appealing to your every, you know, your average dog handler or hunter um, if they yeah. want to have something to do in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that field trial and hunt tests were a totally different aspect. Yeah. It's two totally separate things. So, um, 
yeah i mean if you're you know if you're if your main focus is to have a good gun dog yeah i, I wouldn't encourage you to go chase the field trial game field yeah. trial like a hunt test is also a pass or a fail and a field trial you're competing against the other dogs that are there so oh, that's like that's an actual competition between oh. the dogs a hunt test is if everybody shows up and does good everybody passes so you're not competing against other dogs you're just competing against the standards there's there's judges there that are giving you a score and you're competing against the standard not other dogs okay so okay yeah yeah that would definitely be more of the thing i'd be looking into is a hunt test yeah i would say a hunt test would probably you know just from what you've explained to me and stuff hunt test would probably be more more up your alley than field trialing yeah. um so yeah, hunt tests can be a lot of fun. And like for a guy like you who has never ran a hunt test and you know you 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 haven't been around it a lot, I would encourage you to go run your dog in juniors and you know work your way up just so that you can get all that experience um yeah. and start to understand it a lot better. And it's it's gonna be good for your dog too. Um yeah. as long as you're putting in the time training. I I don't I don't ever train for a hunt test. I just train the dogs until the dogs are ready for the test. So don't don't rush into your first hunt test um you know being like okay like we, we got we got a week left to get ready for this hunt test like just train your dog once your dog's ready and you and you know that she's doing junior level work then go on entry express pick out the next hunt test that's available to, you know near you and then go run her in it it's it's not a race by any means um my my biggest piece of advice for somebody who's just getting into hunt testing is don't be in a rush just once your dog is ready and she's showing you that she's ready, then then go enter a test. Don't be don't be trying to rush into it too fast. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely that definitely makes a lot of sense. I mean, I definitely wouldn't want to rush my dog into something she's not ready for. Yeah, because then you're just gonna have a shit show on your hands. You're oh, gonna yeah. go there, you're not gonna enjoy it, it's not gonna be a fun experience, and you're gonna waste your your entry fee on the first mark. Yeah. Uh, you know, she she blows up at that. And things do happen. Dogs fail. It's not the end of the world when dogs fail, but you want to give yourself the best best chance possible of passing everyone that you go to. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It's like it's the same thing if you're going to run a dog that's not ready to be ran in the field. You're going to be fucking yelling. You're going to be bitching at the dog or whatever it is, and you're just going to be grumpy the entire time. You're going to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> you never want to be that guy. <laughs> no. No. But. I mean, I also kind of wanted to ask you about the difference you see in like people that use their dogs for guiding compared to just regular hunting dogs. Like, what would you say is the difference between a guide dog and just a regular everyday hunting dog? I mean, <laughs> that's a tough one because I've seen a lot of guides with shitty dogs. <laughs> um, <laughs> If I was, if I was guiding, um, I would not be comfortable guiding with any dog that isn't steady in the blind or yeah. is a pain in the ass to hunt with. Because I mean, what are the two biggest things that pop up in my mind when, uh, dogs ruin hunts is when a dog breaks yeah. and flares birds or a dog breaks and is in an unsafe environment because there's guns pointed, you know, there people are hunting out of layout blinds or out of a pit blind or whatever it is. And the dog's running across the front of all these 10 guns that are sticking up out of the blinds. 
um, and a, and uh, dogs whining and being you know being a pain in the ass in the blind. That's that's the two biggest complaints. Well, if somebody's paying paying me to take them out on a hunt, I'm not going to let my dog take away from their experience. Yeah. So me personally, if I'm guiding. I pretty much want a master level dog in the blind, one that's quiet, one that knows the, knows all the situations. I don't want a dog that's super green and is still learning a whole bunch because there's a lot of shit that's going on and there's a lot of un, it's not a controlled environment. I mean, yeah. you don't know who your clients are, you don't know if they're, you know, necessarily super safe with guns and stuff like that. So if there's a dog ripping across the field after a cripple, is the guy not smart enough to not pull up and try to shoot the bird that your dog's chasing? Like there's different stuff like that. So, um, me personally, I wouldn't want to hunt with any dog that's less than, you know, senior or master level, um, or has been hunted a lot. You know, they, I'm not saying that your dog has to have titles to be a good hunting dog. There's lots of great, great hunting dogs out there that have never ran a hunt test in their life, but a dog that is at that level, I think that that is a, is a must. Um, uh, and if your dog isn't like that, then I would suggest staking your dog out and making sure that it's tied up. And obviously, hopefully your dog doesn't whine a whole bunch or make the hunt unenjoyable for your clients that are paying you to take them hunting. Oh, exactly. Yeah, because that's the worst thing is hunting with a bad dog in the field. Yeah, it drives me absolutely crazy. Yeah. (laughs) I can't can't stand it. (laughs) (laughs) And like, even for me, not a dog trainer at all, like, it bugs the shit out of me when there's a bad dog in the field. Well, honestly, the thing that bothers me the most about it is there's really no bad dogs. It's bad dog trainers and bad yeah. dog handlers. So yeah. it's 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 the guy's fault. The guy who's out there screaming and yelling at his dog the whole time, if he would have spent some time with the dog in the off season and trained the damn thing, then yeah. it, then it they wouldn't be in that situation in the first place. So quit yelling at your dog, quit shocking <laughs> your dog in the field because it's it's your fault. Oh, yeah. Dog's fault. It's your fault. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're out there just ripping the shock collar nonstop, like you're not doing anyone any good. It makes me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the one thing. And I mean, you see I mean, dogs everywhere like that that are just the handlers that don't haven't put in enough time but they just want to bring their dog out and hunt and then it's like you should not i mean honestly it's sad to say but there's probably more dogs out there like that the dogs that actually are well trained in the field oh yeah so i mean i see videos all the all the time of dogs ripping across the thread breaking on the shot call or birds landing and dogs you know basically flushing them up like a pheasant and there's 10 guns going off over over the dog's head i mean i i can't stand it It drives me absolutely crazy but you can't fix stupid (laughs) (laughs) i love that it's not the dog that's stupid (laughs) it's the people (laughs) yep uh what was uh did you ever see that bobby guy film of them shooting right over the dog yeah what was your thought on that uh i shared that on my on my instagram story and uh let the let the world kind of know about what i thought about it and i got blocked really quick and he wouldn't talk to me about it 
um, which is fine. I don't really care to talk to Bobby guy. I think I don't, I don't care for the guy too much because yeah. it's in my opinion, I think it's stupid that they would post something like that, yeah. let alone let it happen in the first place, but then post it and act like it's cool. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me because I mean, 95% of our youth that are coming up, you know, growing up in this industry right now, who are going to be the face of the industry in the next 10 to 20 years, they're looking up to that guy. Yeah. And he's showing them that that's okay. That's, that's my biggest issue with it. Um, other than them putting that dog at risk for its life. Um, I mean, that, that's my biggest issue is like, dude, there's so many kids following you. There's so many people watching you and looking up to you and, this is what you're showing them that it, 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 it this is okay and and i hate that um i later on he made made an apology video that was saying we posted it for educational purposes on what not to do but they never said that in any part of the video no. that they originally posted so it doesn't make any sense but yeah. It is what it is. People are going to do what people want to do. And, you know, if, if killing one more bird a day when your dog's right underneath the bird, you know, putting your dog at risk, is that important to you? Then, I mean, how about it, man? Yeah. It's just not worth it to me. Yeah, because I, I saw that I was like, dude, you have 135,000 followers. Like, or some crazy. Like, why are you posting that? And then second off, you're like trying to act like it's not that big of a deal or whatever it is, but you're never really saying sorry for posting it. Like, yeah. At least be like, all right, I fucked up. Like, I shouldn't have done that. Like, be the bigger person about it. Like, right. first off, just don't post the video. Like, first off, just don't. Post I don't. That's the thing, though, is like it's hard for me to explain this, like my, my full take on it. I, I love hunting. I love killing birds. I love every aspect of the hunt, but I'm not like one of those guys who's just like bloodthirsty, like, Oh, I want to kill a pile and I want to post this huge pile pick. And like, yeah. that's just not my style. Like, yeah, I post pile picks. Yeah. I, I share my, my, my better hunts on my social media and stuff, but yeah. it's not about that to me. I'm not hunting. So I have something to post. Yeah. I'm hunting because I love it and I enjoy it. And I love spending time with my friends in the field. That's why I hunt. So for somebody like that, I know what, I know exactly what was going through his head. He already explained earlier in the video that their hunt was, they were struggling finding birds when they were in North Dakota on their early season hunt. And they finally had some birds finishing. And those guys were so trigger happy and bloodthirsty and they needed footage to be able to make a video. So they sacrificed everything else and, and just said, screw everything else. We don't care about what's right or wrong. We need this kill shot for this video. Yeah. And that's, that's where I just disagree. That's where it's just like, in my opinion, if I was, you know, I, I don't have a huge YouTube channel or anything. So, you know, say, say, say what you want. But if, if I was in his shoes and I needed footage for my YouTube channel, that's not something I'd put out there. I would no. rather put out quality videos that are more educational to, yeah. to kids and the up and coming and actually represent me in a good way. Yeah. 
I wouldn't want to put something out there that's like, oh yeah, this guy's careless with the fire firearm and uh, you know, lets his dog do whatever he wants. And I know it's not Bobby's dog or whatever. It was yeah. the other guy's dog, but that's not the point. You can literally see the dog in Bobby's shot cam, yeah. which in my opinion <laughs> is so, 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 so far from being okay. Yeah. So. Dude. And even like him saying like, all right, yeah. Like struggling to find birds and whatever. Like, dude, not everyone has fucking banger hunts. Like, Post the video, like, wasn't the best shoot. Got your footage that you needed. Whatever it is, like, post what you have that's not going to affect the youth at all. And be like, yeah, yeah this, is, this is what happens. This is the real world. Like, you don't yeah. win them all. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's totally okay. That's, that's what I'm getting at is, like, if I was there, or, or say this, if Bobby would have went out that a different way, and as soon as, I mean, you can hear the guy who owns the dog screaming in the video, Hey, 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 like get over here yelling at his dog. As as a gun in one of those blinds, or as as a shooter in one of those blinds, as soon as I hear somebody yelling at a dog, my gun's back on safety and I'm yeah. putting the thing down instantly. So if that would have happened in that video and all those guys go, hey, dogs in the decoys, like put the guns down and they don't shoot and they go, hey, we just missed out on the go because of that, because the dog broke. And hey, I mean, I, I'm I'm gonna literally go subscribe to your channel right now. That yeah. that that would make me subscribe. I'd be like, these guys are freaking legit, man. Like yeah. they they actually have their shit together. They're responsible. It's not just about killing shit. There's lots yeah. more to the hunt. I mean, that dog could have easily been killed in that killed oh. on that go right there. Yeah. Um, and the the sad part is is in the same video in the same uh video you can see the dog breaks a couple more times too and they yeah. do the same thing it wasn't as close as the one video that everybody posted but he still was breaking the entire time so yeah it is what it is um i don't know i don't i don't want to sit here and just bash on people but yeah yeah that did take me off for sure <laughs> yeah oh i hear you yeah i mean it's just educational you got to be educational if you're going to be you got to set your firearm safety is number standard. one when you're in the field. Yeah. Yeah. Firearm safety is the number one thing when you're in the field with yeah. the dog, with people, with anything. Yeah. Don't point your firearm in the direction of something you do not want to kill. Yeah. It's as simple as that. So, yeah. I mean, like every outfitter you go with, they're going to have a safety meeting at the beginning. Like, yep. Like, this is where you shoot, put your gun here, nobody shoots them or out, whatever it is. Like, firearm safety is the biggest thing yeah because there's just so many because you're out shooting a youtube video with a couple of buddies doesn't give you free reign just to do whatever the hell you want yeah i think it's stupid yeah so. yeah can't fix stupid i suppose it is what nope it is. <laughs> nope <laughs> like you just gotta just gotta hope that something changes yeah for uh, sure but how has your hunting season been so far this year I've honestly had a great hunting season. Uh, I actually haven't hunted here in a couple of weeks. Once this snowstorm hit, all of our local birds here in town kind of dipped and we haven't really been hunting a whole lot. But um, I checked off quite a few things on my bucket list for hunting this year, which I'm pretty stoked about. Um, yeah. We we don't really, we haven't in the past got very many snow geese here. Um, yeah. 
we we still don't get them right here in the town that I live in. Uh, we get like one or two mixed in with the honkers, but here locally, it's pretty much all just big geese. Um, and there's not a ton of them, but there's a handful of big local local birds, and we get you know small pushes of a few migrators rolling through. Um, but here in the last few years, um, over towards Moses Lake, Washington, which is like a, an hour from me, yeah. um, we've really seen an increase in. Uh, they've always had more birds than us, but we've really seen an increase in snow geese over there. So I had the opportunity to buy some used snow goose decoys. And so I bought a snow spread this uh, summer Oh, nice! and was like, well, let's give this a shot. And I got lucky and ended up hooking up with uh, a kid that I, had, I have known for a while, but we just started hunting together uh, pretty regularly this year. Um, his family owns a bunch of property down in Borden, Washington. Um, which is near Moses Lake, Riley Scone. Um, he got us on a bunch of snow goose feeds this year and stuff. And so we started doing that. Um, had some really good hunts, got our asses kicked quite a few times. <laughs> Are we good? We're golden. All right. All right. So, so back yeah. to the snow goose. Yeah. So we uh, got our asses kicked a lot of times also. Um, we actually had a hunt. The limit on snow geese got up this year to ten. So we actually had a hunt where we killed a hundred, which was pretty sweet. Um, I don't think there's many people that are that are doing that in in the area that we're that we're in. So that was a really cool experience. Um, had a lot of good dark goose shoots, and I uh, went over to Western Washington a couple weeks ago. We got invited to go hunt with uh, super super cool kid over there uh his name's andrew um and we shot we shot ducks over there for two days and we shot there they mainly have widgeon over there yeah and uh it's like hunting i've never experienced before I mean, these ducks love to decoy and they come in big <laughs> big huge wads and uh i actually killed uh my first euro so i got a eurasian widgeon which was pretty sweet I got to check that off the bucket list. So I really have no complaints of our hunting season this year. You know, we've had, we, we always typically do pretty good here locally on, on the honkers and stuff. And then my trip to Minnesota. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a blast this season. Heck yeah. Dude, a European widgeon is my number one bird that I want to kill. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy. Like I, I, heard of one getting shot where where we're at in central washington so like i know that i know a handful of guys that you know get into them a little bit over in western washington because there's so many widgeon over there but yeah uh i really never expected to have an opportunity and when the opportunity opportunity presented itself i was pretty stoked to get over there and i mean not just not just that bird that it wasn't just that bird that made the hunt i mean we we shot so many birds i mean we it was a super fun time it was super laid back i mean there was snow over there at the time too we're hunting out of layouts with snow covers on them i mean you could literally lay there with your blind doors wide open and these birds are just straight in so it's like you're like landed on your boot bags it was pretty pretty cool to experience dude that sounds awesome when the euro yeah, was pretty cool the euro widgeon that you shot was it in like a big flock or was it in like a smaller group that came so uh, the one that i shot um was in probably a group of like uh 200 ish um 
but we i think we ended up shooting because so my roommate colby he hunted over there for a couple of days before i got over there um and we, we were hunting the same spot like day after day and uh so they were they were killing the hell out of them and so he's like dude you, you guys should come over and, and hunt with us um so we went over there and i think within like a period of like four four or five days we killed like six euros like as a group so it was like it was unbelievable it was <laughs> it was a crazy cool experience we killed five five euros and uh we had one american widgeon uh euro cross that we killed too so Damn. yeah yeah we we got it was a pretty young one but it was a pretty sweet pretty sweet uh experience just to see one see one oh, yeah. hit the dirt <laughs> Dude, that is that yeah. is so fucking cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we literally sat there all day long, and like we'd get, you know, we'd shoot like a regular hunt at the beginning, and then we'd be, you know, a couple limits away from our limit. Yeah, and we'd be like, all right, well, we could just sit here and decoy birds and look for euros, and so we would just sit there and just watch group after group just decoy. But the the problem is, is like they're coming in big wads, and they're so fast, like they don't yeah. spin usually. Like these birds are coming off the off the saltwater. We're hunting close to near near the saltwater, so they're coming off a bay. Yeah, and they're just coming on a line, and they see your spread, and they just kind of dive bomb you. And like sometimes they'll land, other times they're like, you know, dragging the top of the snow, and then just like blowing off of you and going somewhere else. So yeah, like you don't have a lot of time to really pick through on like what. I mean, it's hard to look at two hundred widgeon when you only got five seconds to do it. <laughs> so. um I mean, by the time they're close enough to really start picking them, picking them apart and figuring out which ones are euros and which ones aren't, yeah, it's almost too late to call the shot. So we kind of just made the agreement that if somebody sees one, just just start shooting, and then everybody else can shoot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that was pretty fun. It was always fun when because I'm usually the one that calls the shot, and it was always fun hearing somebody else shoot before I called the shot. <laughs> usually I'm pissed off about that, but I'm like, hell yeah, there's a euro. <laughs> there's somebody spotted one so i'll jump up and start shooting uh but yeah it was pretty a pretty crazy experience we got a bunch of birds for the wall so i actually killed a euro hen too um at the same time so i'm gonna probably get those mounted as a pair that would be fucking sweet yeah yeah it's pretty cool she even like the the hens are obviously not as cool looking but uh she has some cool white markings on her wings and on her like right behind her eye on her head yeah. Um, so she was kind of unique anyways. Um, so I'm excited to get those mounted. Yeah. Dude, even just a hero widgeon, whether it's a hen or a drake, I'd mount yeah. shit out of both of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's definitely a, a super sweet combo for sure. It's, I'm, I'm happy I got both because now I can just check it off my bucket list and move yeah. on. But, um, yeah, I'm super stoked, too, because the one that I shot, is in like perfect shape like a lot of them you know they're finishing so close that they're just getting shot to hell and there's five people shooting at it so a couple of them got pretty beat up um i'm hoping the taxidermist can work his magic and fix them up for those guys but the one that i shot i was the only one shooting at it and i i was shooting a 20 gauge and i actually shot him from like probably 60 yards so he didn't get very shot up at all yeah um and neither did the head. Like, there's no broken wings or anything. So, I'll be. I'm excited to see what he'll do, what what he'll 
what he'll do with them because I typically give my taxidermist the green light to pretty much do whatever he wants with my birds and kind of surprise me. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure he'll be, come up with something cool. That'll be yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's just something else. I mean, don't you have to hunt? You can't hunt over mojos out there either, can you? Nope. No electronic decoys, no e-callers, no nothing. So, like, even our snow goose hunting, there's no no e-callers, no yeah. electronic decoys. Everything's wind-operated wind or full-string. That's crazy. Because, like, that's, that's yeah. all we use for our ducks out here is mojos. Yeah, it, if we could do that here, it would be so stupid. <laughs> We use we use pull string duck decoys. We use pull string spitting wing decoys, and it's just a hassle. The river bands break in them on cold days, or dog runs through the string, and their yeah. strings all broken, and wings are falling off all the time. I mean, it's just a complete shit show. But yeah, yeah, and you got to sit there and pull on that <laughs> thing the entire hunt. So it really sucks, but it is what it is. Yeah, gotta live through it. I mean. Yeah, I don't think it would make, like, for us, our ducks, when they see a mojo, it's like game over. Yeah. I don't think it affects them too much to, like, if we did use no mojos where we're at, like, it would make really any of a difference. Because, like, I mean, I know guys that run fucking 17, 20 mojos in a hunt. Yeah. Like, if the birds aren't going to a field, they'll just traffic the shit out of them and throw like 20 yeah. mojos. Yeah. Yeah, that would definitely be be really cool to do here. I think the most spinning wing decoys that I've ran in Washington, like pull strings, is probably like five or six in a hunt. So you got like five or six guys just sitting there pulling those strings all over the place. It looks like a rat nest through the field. It's terrible. Yeah, that would definitely be a different vibe. Yeah. Yeah. It was it's not that fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can imagine. I was but just thinking about I've you. hunted over I've hunted over mojos too, and it's a way it's it's a way bigger difference when you're hunting over a mojo or or a pull string. Because with the pull string, you got like a pause in the middle of it every single time you pull it. So the wings spin forward then they spin backwards. And so you got to pause the whole time and other than it just, yeah. you know, moving the entire, the, the entire time. So that really sucks. Um, so like I've been up and hunted in Canada up in Saskatchewan. So we got to use mojos up there. I've been in Nebraska. I got to use mojos there. Um, so I've hunted over mojos a handful of times and it definitely is a way bigger difference than using a pole string. They definitely respond to it a lot better in my opinion. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many different settings. Like you can have it on a timer, or you can have it on your remote. So, like for the geese where we're at, they hate mojos. So they same them, here, yeah. Yeah, like if they see them flickering, they're not coming. They'll right. come within like 80, 90 yards, and then they'll start off. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's that's definitely the nice thing about like mojos. You can just do so much with them. Yeah. Like. Yeah, they are pretty sweet. Yeah. And I know you mentioned saltwater when you're talking about the widgeon. Do you ever have anybody that brings you a dog that hunts over saltwater? Like, do you guys train differently 
for guys that hunt mainly water compared to fields? Um, no, I think that we get, we give the dog, you know, every dog that comes in here, we give them as much of a variety and training as possible. So we throw them water marks and we throw them marks on land. We throw marks in cover, um, all different. We, we train all over the place. So, um, I've never had a client that's specifically like this dog's going to only hunt the salt or, yeah. you know, this dog is going to hunt the salt a lot. I haven't really trained any dogs that are specifically for that. So yeah. um, I haven't really had to, you know, change my training styles at all for that. But I mean, if, if that was the case, I'd probably go throw marks for that dog in moving water on the river or something so that it's a little, you know, a little tougher to, to find the birds, you know, in the white caps and stuff or in the rollers yeah. and um, they get used to swimming and moving water. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Is there any, any dogs that you've had to change your training tactics with like has there been any scenario where like your majority of your training has to be changed for a certain dog every dog is different i know i sound, probably sound like a broken record saying oh, no. that but every dog every every dog is different so yeah you i don't train any two dogs the same i mean yeah. i think uh that's the you know i preach this to people all the time is like read your dog and do whatever it takes hey, do whatever it takes to get your dog to understand in the clearest way possible um i i also use the analogy like as a dog trainer you're basically painting a picture for that dog paint it as black and white as possible so that the dog clearly understands what you're trying to get get at um you can't just talk to your dog and be like hey i want you to go pick up that bird they're not going to understand that they don't think like we do so um you know use your training and, and be creative think outside the box and do whatever it takes to paint a clear picture for that dog on what you're asking them to do um and that's going to give you the best results in the long run yeah oh i hear you on that i mean that's that's a great way to put it because yeah no dogs the same they're just like people i mean there's a lot of the same tactics that we use on different dogs but it all happens at different times you know one thing might work for one dog really good another you know the same thing might not work at all for the next dog so and you know it's not like we just have it down to a science where it's boom 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 all on a schedule like some dogs train faster some dogs mature faster or slower and you just have to fit the training in where it belongs yeah yeah that's a great point and i know you were talking about force fetch a little bit and i feel like that's a struggle for a lot of people that's probably the hardest and one of the most important parts of training um that's basically your foundation for everything um so it's a super important part of training and uh it is the hardest because there's no like you can read all the books you want. You can watch all the videos you want on force fetch, but until you start force fetching your dog, you have no idea what can of worms you're opening up like for yourself. I mean, every dog is different. Some dogs blow right through it in a couple of weeks. Some dogs, it takes three months. Yeah. It just depends on the dog. So, you know, all the videos and all the books that you read, um, it, it, your dog might not fit into any of that training style and you might be going, what the hell, why is this not working? Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it, it's, and it's a very, typically it's a, it's a very slow process. So a lot of people try to rush it and 
when you try to rush that, it just does not go well. So um, that's probably, you know, the biggest, I would say that one of the biggest, most important pieces of, you know, the beginning of that dog's, that dog's training life or training career. Yeah. What does your force fest, force fetch process look like? Uh, it's super hard to explain it um, without actually, you know, being hands-on <laughs> and showing, showing you. Um, but there's lots of different methods for force fetch. Um, there one, one methods, the ear pinch method. Um, so basically the, you know, dumbed down version of force fetch, what it is, is you, you're teaching the dog to turn off pressure by grabbing an object, bumper, birds, you know, whenever I say fetch on command, if you pick that up, you're, you're, um, beating the pressure basically. So you have to have some sort, some form of pressure. Um, so some people use ear pinch. Uh, another method is toe hitch. Uh, I'm sure there's, you know, a way, way more methods than I even have heard of in my, my career. Um, I've, I've used both ear pinch and toe, toe hitch. Um, I, I use toe hitch now. Um, I started out using ear pinch, but I, I found out that through, just through experience that toe hitch, I feel like I can get through to the dog a little bit easier and not have to put so much physical pressure on the dog to get them to understand. Um, so it's more of just a stepping stone than like, you know, I, I don't like, I don't like the whole, um, I don't really like the whole thought behind just like pinching a dog's ear and like having a hold of their face while they're trying to figure something out. Yeah. Um, I think it's easier for the dog. I mean, if you, if you think about it, if, would you rather somebody pull on your finger or twist on your ear, or pinch on your ear? I mean, like if you were trying to figure like focus and figure something out, you probably wouldn't want to mess them with your head. And that's just yeah. kind of how I think about, think about it. And that's the results that I've seen from other dogs that I've put through both. Um, you know, when you grab a hold of their ear and you start pinching their ear, they're like, what the hell's going on here? And you're trying to get them to look at a bumper over here. And it, it just doesn't, it's hard for them. Sometimes it can be hard for them to understand what's going on. Um, and there's a lot of stuff that we do to prepare them up until that point. So they do have some sort of an idea of what's going on already before you start pinching their ear. But I think that just the toe hitch method is a lot easier. Um, and they're not, you know, focused on what the hell is going on with their ear. And they, you know, they feel some pressure on their toe. And then the bumper's right in front of their face. Boom, they grab it. Pressure stops. It starts to click a lot easier for them. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot more sense to do it that way. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want somebody messing around with my head because at the same time, too, if you're pinching their ear, they're trying to look back at you. And then, the yeah, and that's right that's what I that's what I was kind of getting at is like, I, I don't like it's just a distraction up around their head. Like a lot of dogs don't like you touching their heads and stuff anyways. So you're just distracting them uh, and, you, you know, they're not they're not able to really focus all the way. Um, you know, some dogs fly right through it and it doesn't bother them, but I, yeah. I had some dogs struggle in it and then, uh, used the toe hitch method instead and had good success. So that's kind of what I just stuck, have stuck with now, um, for the last couple of years, is just using toe hitch. Um, and I've had good success with that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I but feel like it's all personal preference. Everybody does it differently. Um, it's all what, you know, whatever fits into your training style and how you do things. and. Uh, but, I mean, every, every trainer is going to be different and every dog's different. So some dogs are going to, you know, go through t uh, toe hitch quicker than ear pinch and some dogs be the other way around. So. Yeah. Yeah, oh, exactly. 
different trainers, different dogs, whatever it is. They all got their own process they got to work through. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, what uh, do you have any more season left for your hunting out in Washington? Yeah, so our regular season uh, ends at the end of January. And then we get like a couple weeks or a month to hunt snows in February. So we have a little bit of hunting left to do here. We have really uh, liberal limits and seasons here. Our our season, we have, well, we get one weekend of uh, early goose in September. Mm. So we get two days to hunt early goose here. And then our season opens up usually like the middle of October and then goes to the end of uh january so we have a pretty long season and pretty healthy limits so we don't really complain too much about that yeah yeah that'd be nice if our season started like mid-october when does your season start our season starts our early season starts the first weekend of september runs through the third week the third weekend and then the last weekend of september our regular season starts and then our ducks run until November 28th. And then our geese run until December 29th. But I'd way rather have our ducks start like mid-October and run it to December 29th. Yeah, so you guys, your season's already closed in January then? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah we're, we we're, still have thousands we're full of steam birds. We're full steam ahead. Like yeah. right now i mean this is the this is the prime time for us so yeah that that would be that would definitely be a big change or be pretty weird yeah but and dude like we have some weird we have some weird regulations like we can't hunt geese uh every day of the week we can only shoot geese wednesday saturday sunday huh. so we can only shoot geese three days a week unless it's like a holiday or like over like new year's and christmas it opens up for a week straight but other than that, we can only shoot geese on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. We can hunt ducks every day, but we can't hunt geese every day. Hmm, that's different. So, yeah, that'd be a be a lot different vibe. Because I mean, like the shitty thing about Minnesota is people want to go shoot their dirty brown ducks in the warm weather, and then they want to go deer hunt. And yeah. so everybody's chill with in october and then basically once november hits which our deer seasons all start like rifle and muzzleloader all that kind of stuff then people don't duck hunt goose hunt whatever it is like it's basically over for like half of our goose hunting population is in the first week of november but i'd way rather see it go to the end because then you can go shoot really nice mallards in the field right but yeah that would be a tough one yeah just get to watch all your birds load up in fields and can't do anything about it dude we had one hunt two weekends after the um after the season closed for ducks we were hunting geese and there was easily 500 mallards that were coming off the river and just fucking diving right in like groups of 100 200 just cycling through and we're running we're running clients out there and we're like they came from louisiana and we're like yep can't shoot them like 
they're like, oh, yeah, so can we shoot ducks and whatnot? I'm like, nope. <laughs> Our season's been closed for two weeks now. Like, you, we, can only, we can only shoot geese. And yeah, it was that just, sucks. It was just mallards after mallards. It was a tough balance. I was like, that would be, that'd be so nice to go shoot those things right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That'd be frustrating. Yeah, we don't have any splits for like our ducks and geese and stuff. Like as soon as our season opens, the only kind of split thing that we have is when they gave us a spring season, uh, they took away like the first couple weeks that we could shoot snows on the opener. But but ducks like ducks and darks are all open the entire time. Yeah. So like we don't, you know, you say your duck season ends a little bit earlier or whatever than your goose season. Ours is all everything's open from middle of October to the end of January. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have a split for our duck season the first weekend of October. And it used to be two weeks and we could hunt till the first weekend of December. And this past year, they were like, yeah, let's be fucking idiots and change it to a five day split. And then you can only hunt till the last week in November. Yeah, I guess I, I guess we do have one little split or whatever you want to call it. I think it's only like two or three days. And it's yeah. like in the middle of the week when nobody's even hunting anyway. <laughs> so we have like one like two or three days where they close it down. I don't even know the reasoning behind it, but yeah, they close it down for a couple of days now that I think about it. But other than that, it's pretty much open. And then just you can't shoot geese on other than or we can't shoot geese other than on Wednesday, Saturday and Sundays. So other than that, it's free game. Yeah. And how'd you meet Bennett? I've heard of so many. I've heard a lot about you from Trevor. Yeah, so Trevor and I met. Uh, so I got on the Pacific Calls Pro staff um, when I was in high school. And uh, we have a Facebook page, the staff page. And he posted on the staff page. I didn't know who he was or anything. He posted on there. He's like, I got tons of birds down in Baker City. Uh, if anybody wants to join me on a hunt, like, just hit me up and, like, we'll make it happen. And uh, I shot him a message. I was like, dude, I'd love to come come down and hunt with you. And he was like, yeah, man, meet me here at this time. And I, like, put it into my Google Maps. And I was like, oh, like, I'm going to have to leave, like, right now to make it there by the time he wants me to make it there. And, like, I'm not going to get to sleep tonight. So, like, I wasn't really expecting him to want me to be there, like, that morning but i was like screw it so i threw some decoys in a blind in the back of my truck and i took off my mom wanted to kill me it was like in the middle of a blizzard and uh she was super pissed that i was driving there <laughs> driving there alone and i uh took off and met him down there pulled into the gas station he uh, dropped me the pin at like i'm pretty sure i got to sleep for like 15 minutes before he showed up and uh we we went and hunted together we we, we shot I forget how many guys we had on that hunt. We shot our limit. I think there was like eight guys. Shot like an eight-man limit and shot shot a band. And mm-hmm. ever since then, we just kind of <laughs> became became closer and closer friends ever since. So yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I've I've watched his dogs a lot on just like him posting about them. They look like yeah, hell of a good dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've spent some good time with Six and Sage. Um, yeah. Like I said, Trevor spent some time up here this summer and stuff, training with me and stuff. So I've spent some good time with them. 
I wish he would have left him here for a little bit more training because I would have got him <laughs> dialed in a little bit better for him. But he hunts enough that those dogs are going to catch on just yeah. fine. So, well, shit. I mean, he's traveling all year long. Yeah, yeah. Those dogs are going to get enough training in the field. They'll do it. They're they're obviously already doing just fine. I mean, they're picking up tons of birds. So, because how old? Six, like a year. Yeah, he's probably a year. I'm not sure exactly how old six is now, honestly. Yeah. Probably a year and a half, maybe. Yeah. Year, year and a half. Yeah, he looks like a he looks like a beast of a dog. He's built up big. Yeah, he's he is pretty stacked. <laughs> that dog is a is a unit for sure. What do you prefer in a like body style of a dog? Um my my personal dog gunner, he is like anywhere from 75 to 80 pounds ish he's tall and lanky and um i like when i when i when i picked him out i really didn't know what i wanted i was like oh big dog like i'm gonna hunt geese like blah 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 blah. but now that i've trained a bunch of dogs and stuff and i've seen some smaller dogs pick up geese just as well as big dogs i i'm 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 more of a smaller smaller dog guy now because i just think that it's easier on their joints and you know it's not they're you know a big big heavy dog that's you know stopping on a dime in a field to pick up a bird i think that the lankier and bigger bigger they are the harder it is on their joints so um you know smaller dogs easier to fit in a kennel and you know easier to fit in the dog blind easier to hide all that kind of stuff i don't think you need a huge dog to have a good efficient dog in the field i have a client dog um client bought the puppy from me and then i've trained the dog for uh, two or three seasons now and hunt te- campaigned him and hunt tests and um i've hunted with him a whole bunch too he went he was he went up to canada with me and stuff and that dog's like half the size of my dog and he picks up geese just fine he's he's a hell of a dog so he kind of that dog kind of proved to me that you don't need to be big to be an efficient dog in the field yeah do you prefer like males or females i mean there's good in both um i would prefer i mean i guess i'm kind of biased because my personal dog's a male right now um i've seen a lot of good females i've ran a lot of good females i think that the males in my opinion are just a little more hardy and you know physically capable of just hunting like day in and day out I've seen a lot of females that kind of start to break down and get kind of lazy, get tired. And it seems like the males are just a little more gritty if you're hunting, you know, every single day and, you know, it's cold and it's, and it's hard. I've seen more females kind of give in to pressure like that um, versus males. So in my opinion, I think males, but everybody's going to have their personal preference on males versus females. And I've seen a ton of really, really, really nice females too, that have done everything that, that the males have done that i've seen too but yeah. i just think they're a little bit fewer and far in between yeah and like your thoughts on like neutering a dog versus not neutering a dog is do you see a change in that because i hear a lot of people like saying that their drive goes down or whatever it is if you neuter a dog yeah, I don't think that it's going to affect their drive. My my input on getting a dog spayed or neutered is wait until they're two years old. Um, dogs need the hormones to 
help their growth plates close up completely. So if you neuter or spayed a dog too early, like under the age of two before their um, growth plates are completely closed up, sometimes they'll stay open and the dog can keep growing. And then that causes hip dysplasia and different stuff like that. Um, so I just recommend wait until they're two years old. If you want to neuter them or spay them after that, then that's your personal choice. I don't think personally, I don't think that it affects the dog in any way. Um, but I also don't think that it's like a lot of people say like, Oh, they'll stop running away if they're neutered or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't really believe in that either. Just teach your dog to stay home. Yeah. (laughs) So I hear you on that. But I mean, I've seen a lot of neutered dogs run away from home, so I don't really, I don't really believe in that theory. Yeah, yeah, I've just heard like, I don't know, I've just heard there's there's so many different theories in the dog world on like, oh yeah, just different things that people think. Like, what would, like, what's the biggest theory that you've heard about dog training or whatever it is that's so controversial to you? Oh, oh God. I'm not, I don't even know. I've heard so many, um, you know, like that can't teach an old dog new tricks. I mean, just because the dog's older doesn't mean that the dog's not trainable. Sometimes it's going to be a little tougher to get through to that dog because they're a little more set in their ways. But if the dog's, you know, the dog likes birds and the dog likes to retrieve, you can make a hunting dog out of them. And a lot of people are like, what's the, what's the, what's the max age that you'll take in a, you know, take a dog into training and there's no max age as long as the dog likes to train likes birds and wants to retrieve then we can work with them so that's kind of one of them where it's like oh my dog's too old i'll bring you my next dog it's like no i mean we could we could give it a shot for sure yeah yeah i mean that's a good point as long as the dog likes to work and has has somewhat of a drive like feel like you can make make do with what you got yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm not going to make a dog do something he doesn't want want to do, but yeah, um, if he likes birds and he likes to retrieve, then you know he's trainable. Not yeah. doesn't matter what the age is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, brother, I'm gonna. Oh, I lose you there. Oh, there you go. I was gonna say we're running, we're running on uh, time here, but I wanted to say thanks so much for jumping on. Yeah, man, for sure. Thanks for having me on. That was a blast. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, know your shit. You know your shit about dog training. Yeah, I try. I mean, <laughs> I, I am doing it every day. I'm I'm still learning every day too. So oh, exactly. maybe we'll have to do it again. Maybe we'll have to do it again another time after I learn some more. Absolutely, dude. Let's uh let's try to do something in the summer. Maybe we can uh figure something out, talk about some hunt tests or whatever it is. Once you start rolling on those again. Yeah, man, for sure. Absolutely. Well, brother, I'll let you go. And thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Yeah, you as well.